0: Again, making your way back to your seats and grab your Bibles. We want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be looking at what Paul has to say to this church in Corinth. And I promise you, I do intend for it to fit in our character study of the men we will look at this morning. Uh, Specifically, we're going to focus our attention on James the Lesser... Bartholomew, who's also referred to as Nathaniel, and Thomas, which some of you might know him as Doubting Thomas, but that's a bit of an unfair nickname that uh, he wasn't the only one that doubted. He was one of all of them that doubted. We just end up picking on him a little bit. So let's be a little, little kind to Thomas there, but Thomas was a twin. There was, there was two of them. Uh, he looked identical to a brother. Maybe that was why he got sent out to, uh, and wasn't in the upper room with all the other disciples. I mean, I could just see them huddling in fear for the Jews that are trying to find them and going, hey, Thomas, you should go buy more bread and wine because they won't know if it's you or your brother. I mean, you could just see the processes of... People just kind of wheels churning in that way. But that's speculative. We don't know for sure. But what we do know about these three men is not much. It is not much. There's, I believe, five different places that James the Lesser is referenced in the Bible. One of them is a record of him being at Calvary when Christ is crucified. And the other four... His name appears in the list of the twelve apostles. That's all we got. That's all we got. There's not much about Thomas, though there is a little bit more. And there's a little bit about Nathaniel Bartholomew as well. So what I want to do this morning is I want us to consider, I believe one of the very clear things the Lord wants us to see in the fact that these three men are completely contrasted from the men of Peter, James, and John. Over the last three weeks, we've looked at them. And there's a lot to look at. Peter wrote books. Peter spoke sermons. John wrote books. James, a part of the inner three circle of Jesus, known for his, his, his thundering attitude and his quick, passionate responses to problems that he perceived, ends up being willing to be the first martyr of the apostles. Not the first Christian martyr, that was Stephen, but the first martyr of the twelve. I mean, there's a lot to know about Peter, James, and John. And in contrast, James the Lesser, Bartholomew, Nathaniel, or Thomas, and Thomas, couldn't be any more different. None of these guys wrote any books of the Bible. None of these guys are recorded as preaching anything, and yet they were a part of the apostles. Jesus chose them. We actually don't even have recorded when Jesus came and chose them. We know it was Philip that went to Nathanael, but after that, we don't know. Nathanael and Jesus have a conversation, but there's no command to follow him. He just does. We have no record of James the Lesser. We don't know where Thomas started in on the team and so these three men, they, they stand in great contrast to Peter, James, and John. And one of the things that I think we can be prone to do and think, and it's a natural thing, but we have to try to think biblically, not naturally, is we can at times make role synonymous with value. And so we can go, well, Peter had a role. He spoke a lot. He wrote. John wrote. He's, he, he spoke. He was an elder. It, there's, a, there's a role there, and so there must have been a greater value that that man had, that those men had. But I think it's really dangerous if we make role and value the same. If you find yourselves as somebody who prefers to stay in the background a little bit more than the foreground... I mean, if the idea of preaching a sermon just sends terrors up and down your spine and makes your liver quiver, you're probably going to identify a little bit more with these three guys than you will with Peter. I mean, you're probably not ever going to put your foot in your mouth because you probably don't often open your mouth. These three guys you're going to be able to identify with. Because these guys, in very real ways, they were background guys. They were guys that just didn't put themselves forward. And yet they were no less valuable, though they had a different role. And what we're going to see in 1 Corinthians 12 is that it doesn't matter what your role is. Your value is not determined by your role. And God's actually given us different roles and so God wanted Peter to fulfill a role that Peter was, was made for and gifted for. And if you're more of a background person and not a Peter, let's stand up and speak person, well, God's gifted you and made you to fulfill that role. So we shouldn't elevate or value one role higher than another because God's doing something. And so if you've ever wondered or struggled with, well, I'm not the upfront person. I'm not the real kind of the, the go-getter person, the go get person. That's just not me. God seems to have wired me differently. Well, these, these three guys might be your guys. Because Jesus chose them, and he used them. And he used them to be his apostles. And so we're going to see that, and, and Lord willing, we, we, we see that clearly. And I think 1 Corinthians 12 gives us a, a really good way to see that and what the Apostle Paul has to write in regards to how the body of Christ has been arranged and how it has been formed and fashioned together. So let's pray before we go any farther and then we'll hop into 1 Corinthians 12 and then we'll hop back to these three and think about the little bit of the biographical details that we know about them. But that will be a very small part of the morning because there's just not much. But let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray and ask that you would come And meet with us and be our teacher this morning. Uh, Lord, where it be my, my voice that's heard, we pray that it would be accurate to what you have said. God, we pray that you'd be gracious to us this morning, that we may be able to understand your word. God, reveal to us where we may think that Different roles have greater value, and how that's just not true. God, we pray that we would learn from the example of these three men this morning how you, you gift, and you arrange, and you compose us individually and collectively to be what you want us to be. And so God, we pray that you'd come and you'd you'd teach us and that you would move and you'd work and we pray this in the good name of Jesus. Amen. Well, 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to be looking at verses 11 to 27 and what the apostle Paul is going to be working through and looking at, he's addressing the church in Corinth. And this church was a hot mess. I mean, this church had all sorts of issues. I mean, they struggled with things in virtually every area of life. And in this regard, they they really are a glorious example to all of us that still struggle because you see God's grace towards sinful, imperfect people fully on display when you read about and read this letter that is written to the church in Corinth. And they individually had issues. They collectively had issues. And so you see God's grace in saving them, but you see God's grace in sustaining them. They're a hot mess, but from the very beginning of this book, they are addressed as saints. There's never any question as to whether or not they have and are believers. The Apostle Paul's writing to them and going, Alright, you're believers. Let's, let's look a little bit more like believers. You guys are doing this. You shouldn't be doing this. You guys are thinking this way. You shouldn't be thinking this way. And you just see God's grace on display. Lovingly, graciously teaching them and encouraging them to think and act and look more like Jesus. And we get to chapter 12. And we begin to read about, and the Apostle Paul begins to specifically address how the church was elevating certain people to higher and greater places of status, value, and worth. And then consequently, they were diminishing other people to lower places of status, value, and worth. And they were doing so on the basis of what spiritual gift somebody had. And they were saying, okay, well, that spiritual gift, that that maybe is a little bit more of an upfront gift. You must be a little bit more valuable. Oh, that spiritual gift is a little bit more of a behind-the-scenes gift. You you must be a little bit less valuable. And they were elevating and de-elevating people's value and status based on the gift that God had given them. And what the Apostle Paul begins to do in chapter 12 is he begins to say, you know what, no. No, we need to flatten this hierarchy of gifts that you have created, because there's not a hierarchy of gifts. And in verse 11, he begins to walk through specifically those truths. Now, this matters a great deal for us, because we believe that God, through the Holy Spirit, has gifted every believer with gifts, at least one, to serve the body of Christ. Furthermore, God is created each of us with unique abilities and passions that we are to use to love and serve those both inside and outside the church for his glory. That's how we've chosen to define this idea of Christ-centered serving, that all of us as believers in Jesus Christ who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ have been called to serve, and we've been gifted to do so by the Lord to serve His body. But then we, we're just made with, with passions and abilities and skills. and We've got different skill sets and, and God's uniquely wired those aptitudes and skill sets in us so that we can love and serve people inside and outside His church for His glory. And so as we think about what the Apostle Paul is going to write, it is unbelievably applicable for us because there is a multitude of gifts that have been given in this room. There's a difference between our gifts. And it's important that we recognize and understand that. So let's go to verse 11. Let's step in to Paul's argument here. All these, he's referencing the list of gifts that he has just given. We're not going to walk through and define the list of gifts today. He's just summarizing the point that he's been making. He's listed a bunch of gifts. And he's now going to say all of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as He wills. So there's some words there that we need to define. The first word there that we need to give some definition to is the word empowered. It means to give the energy needed to operate. Your AA batteries that you stick in toys at Christmas time, they empower The toy to work. The double A's that are in my mic pack right now are empowering the the mic to work. It is giving the energy needed for something to operate. So what's Paul saying? All gifts, all gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit. Do gifts look different? Oh, sure. Are there different roles? Absolutely. There's different roles. There's different gifts. But you know what? The Holy Spirit is giving the energy to operate and use those gifts the same for everybody. There's not a different Spirit. And the Spirit apportions to each one individually as He Wills That word apportions means to divide or distribute based on implied distinctions or differences. So the Holy Spirit is giving you the energy needed to operate the gifts He has given you and they are distinct from the gifts He's given somebody else but it's not because there's a greater value or worth or measure of the spirit he's the same spirit and he does so as he wills okay so you see the, the spirit chooses god the holy spirit chooses who gets what gift and then empowers all gifts equally so let's try to summarize what verse 11 is teaching us. You have different gifts, but you don't have a different spirit. The spirit gives gifts as he determines and empowers all gifts that are given. Gifts differ, but all gifts are supernatural in their origin and action. Because the spiritual gifts have been given And apportioned, they've been given to you. Their origin is from the Spirit. And they're empowered. The energy needed to operate them is also from the Spirit. They are supernatural in action and in origin. So there's no distinction to be made there. It's the same Spirit, though it's a different gift, it's a different role. Let's continue then on to verse 12. Paul's going to continue. He's going to give us now a metaphor to maybe help us figure out what this looks like in practice. For just as, in the exact same way, the body is one and has many members. And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. So, Paul here continues on to tell us like your human body, which has many different parts, he used the word members. There are many different parts in the body of Christ, but there is one body. There's one body. You've got fingers, you've got toes, you've got arms, you've got legs. Those body parts have different functions, they have different uses. But none of us thinks of our fingers as a body unto itself. No, it's part of something greater. It's part of a greater whole. That's where his argument continues. So here we have, you have different gifts, you have different roles, but you have the same spirit. And he's not empowering some in greater ways than he's empowering others. And while you have differences in your gifts and there's distinction in your roles, you're not any more or any less a member of the body of Christ. Though you might be a toe as opposed to an arm. That's what he's telling us at this point. Let's continue on to verse 13. He's going to just keep going here. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or were free and all were made to drink of one spirit. So here Paul's telling us, look, there's one spirit. In one spirit all were baptized into one body. Now, what does that word baptized mean right there? It's the act of being placed in the body of Christ. It's the spiritual act of baptism that the Apostle Paul is speaking of right there in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. It's to be made a member of the body of Christ. To be dead to your sins, made alive in Christ, and be placed into the body of Christ. Now, the physical act of baptism that happens in this tank behind me is an outward demonstration of that inward reality. So when you step into those waters, you are not being placed into the body of Christ. You are standing before those who love Jesus, declaring, I'm already saved. I trust Jesus Christ with my life. I have given my life to him. I've been spiritually baptized into his body. And there's then a physical baptism which symbolizes that outwardly. So he's talking about baptism here to say, spiritually, you have been made in and placed into the body of Christ. Now, what he tells us is important. For in one spirit, there's not multiple spirits, there's not different apportions of the spirit, it's one spirit. You've been baptized into the body of Christ. Furthermore, any and all external distinctions, Jews or Greeks, socioeconomical, national, political, slaves or free, cultural, that doesn't matter either. So the Spirit's not more for the Jews and less for the Gentiles or vice versa. He's not more for the slaves or less for the free. He is for all and without distinction, and all are baptized into the body of Christ, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. That phrase, made to drink, it's a way for us to think about and understand the idea and the biblical concept of us becoming the temple of the Holy Spirit, being indwelt by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And this is a work of God, the Holy Spirit, in our lives. It's the work that Jesus told Nicodemus is being born again. It's the work that Paul writes to Titus in Titus 3 where he uses the word regeneration. It's the idea of being made new. And it's a work of the Spirit. So here's the argument. Let's let's track through what is being then told to us in verse 13. There's now no spiritual distinction. Between anybody who's in the body of Christ. In one spirit, all have been baptized. And all have been baptized by the spirit into the body of Christ regardless of external distinctions. So what's he trying to say? In verses 11 to 13, Paul's introducing this idea for us. And he's trying to flatten this hierarchy of value that this church in Corinth had begun to assign to people who had different roles and different gifts. They were elevating certain people and saying, well, you, you, we're going to put you on a pedestal because it seems like you, you maybe have a little bit more supernatural in your gifting and, and, and you were going to maybe, maybe set you aside a little bit by default, if nothing else, because it seems like you maybe have a little less supernatural in your gifting. And Apostle Paul said, no, 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 no. All gifts, all gifts are supernatural in their action. They are supernatural in their origin. There's different members or roles within the body, but all are a part of the body. There may be distinctions regarding what kind of gift or gifts that you have. But those gifts have been sovereignly given to you as God the Holy Spirit has chosen to do so. Now, as we step into verse 14 and look at verses 14 to 20, the Apostle Paul is now going to instruct us to not devalue ourselves as members of the body of Christ. So he has just told us in 11 to 13, you have a s- distinct role. And you have that role because the Holy Spirit has chosen to give you that role. And your role is going to look differently than somebody else's role, but that doesn't matter because you're all a part of the body of Christ, and the Holy Spirit is supernaturally empowering all gifts that He's chosen to give and distinguish amongst people as He wills, and you're all in. So don't devalue yourself, don't think less of yourself because you're a toe. go to verse 14 see what he has to say for the body does not consist of one member but many he's back referring he's continuing to refer to this physical body as a way to try to help us understand what he's saying here if the foot should say because i am not a hand i do not belong to the body that would not make it any less a part of the body And if an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? So verses 14 to 20 begin to instruct us to not devalue ourselves. All parts of the body are equal as parts of the body. And it would be silly for us to look down at the bodies that we have and go, well, that finger is a little bit less of a part of my body because it's, it's not the heart that's beating, that's keeping my blood pumping. And it's not the lungs that are keeping oxygen supplied in my blood. It's silly to think about that. I mean, none of us. Think that way naturally. We none of us think about our physical bodies that way, but maybe we are indeed prone to think that way about our role in the body of Christ. Or well, maybe I'm a little bit more of a behind-the-scenes person, so that that that, that role is not as important as the upfront stuff. Well, maybe I prefer to serve without a lot of fanfare, and maybe that's just not as as valuable as the people that sometimes are thanked publicly for their service. And the Apostle Paul saying, no, you cannot devalue yourself. Because if every part of the body was an ear, if everybody had the same gift, there's nobody left to sniff the potluck dinners that get brought in and smell how awesome they are. You've got to have distinctions. And you do in your human body. That's the way God has chosen to arrange his body. And he tells us that much in the next verse. But as it is, God has arranged, or God arranged, the members in the body, each one as he chose that word arranged means to assign a particular task or function. You have a gift because the Holy Spirit gave you a gift as he wills. You have a role because God has given you and assigned to you a particular task and function because he chose to. Don't devalue yourself. Don't think of yourself as any less valuable because you have a different role. Verse 19, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is written, there are many parts or members, yet one body. Verses 14 to 20 instruct us to not devalue our as members of the body of Christ. Verses 21 to 26 instruct us to not devalue others as members of the body of Christ. And he writes, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need for you. On the contrary, The parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. The big idea there is that we are not to devalue others. So verses 14 to 20 have told us don't devalue others. Yourself, You have different roles. Don't think of yourself as any more or any less valuable based on your role. Verses 21 to 26 is telling us you have different roles. Don't think of anyone else as any less or more valuable based on their role. But God has so composed the body. That word composed means to arrange and put together in a unique way it's to cause parts to fit together i mean think of a puzzle piece puzzle with made up of lots of pieces at the end you've you've arranged those pieces in the right order and now the puzzle is put together i'm thinking of the back end of my minivan, which is beginning to be composed and arranged for our trip to the beach, which we'll take here in about an hour. And, and I, I just kind of love the work of making, making everything fit. Well, let's put a couple boogie boards there, and let's get some stuff slid under there, and let's get the cooler there, and it's just kind of a giant puzzle and challenge to get everything to fit. That's the idea there. That's the idea of this word, Composed. That God has composed. So God has given the parts, the differing parts. He's arranged them that there is uniquenesses and distinctions so that the whole body is not one part. And now he's composed them and made them all fit together. And it's so that there would be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. See, To assign greater worth or value to certain members or or roles more than others is completely contrary to the very idea that God has knitted the body of Christ together and done so with distinction so that we're not all the same. So we're not to devalue ourselves because we have a different role or gift. And we're not to devalue others because they may have a different role or gift. And if we're not careful, I think we can very easily apply a a corporate hierarchy to the church in regards to value. I mean, we'll, we'll value some more than others because of their role. And probably will feel a little American and pretty American. It's, it's fairly unbiblical. So Let me just try to give you some examples of what exactly I'm trying to say here. Okay, I do not have more value than the people who count the offering each week after the service. We have different roles, not a different value. It's not a better prayer. When the pastor prays, the elders have no more value than the nursery workers, even though they have differing roles. Really, in this exact same way, this is the picture of the marriage relationship with husband and wives. Different roles value that is in no way determined based on somebody's role. This is in every way the core foundational argument of the pro-life movement. That that baby in the womb has a value and a significance that is detached from anything that they have done or will do. That their value is inherent regardless of what they come out of the womb and choose to do. And that's the foundational underpinnings, the biblical underpinnings of the pro-life movement. That we value all men and women equally, not because of what they do, but because of who God has declared them to be and the image of God that they bear. So as that gets applied then to the body of Christ, there are different roles within the body of Christ. There's not a different value. We cannot confuse value with role. We're going to get ourselves all goofed up. So we look at these three men here. James the Less, Bartholomew Nathaniel, Thomas. We have no record of them writing any scriptures. We have no record of them preaching any sermons. And in really every way, they seem to be men who are not up front they are not even trying to push themselves forward and yet they were chosen by Christ they were equipped by him they were set loose to go and do ministry in his name and if we're not careful we I think can very subtly some of us probably those that are more type a can think well they're not as valuable as Peter was and we can fall into the trap of first Corinthians 12 21 to 26 and assign less value to somebody else because of their role. But if you're more of the background person, the, the behind-the-scenes person, you might very easily find yourself falling into the trap of 1 Corinthians twelve fourteen to 20 where, well, maybe those guys were a little less valuable as I am because they didn't stand up at Pentecost and preach and they didn't give the altar call when 3,000 people came forward to get saved and baptized. and Maybe they were just a little bit less. And nothing is further from the truth. So, James the Less. We really have no idea what his name even means. We're told that James the Younger was at the foot of the cross. He could have been James the Less, in contrast to the Apostle James of Zebedee, could have been a way to distinguish between those two men. You have two James within the Twelve. You also have two Judases within the 12, two Simons within the Twelve. James could have been small in stature. Could have been a way to just say, he's, he's a bit of a wee little man, kind of like Zacchaeus. We don't know. We don't know. Some think he might have been related to Matthew. We're told that he was the son of Alphaeus. Matthew is also recorded as being the son of Alphaeus. But there's no way to know if it's the same Alphaeus. As I just said, there was two Judases, two James, two Simons within the the group of 12. I mean, Alphaeus could have been just as common of a name. We don't know. And there is nothing remarkable that stands out about James. He probably coasted along through life, not really doing anything spectacular, either great or terrible. He was probably like the kid who gets really good grades in class and doesn't really cause the teacher any hassle. He's not acting out and getting that kind of attention, but he's also not pushing himself to the front and trying to get the positive areas of attention. He would probably be the kid who got picked last for dodgeball if he even decided he wanted to play dodgeball. From a worldly perspective, James doesn't appear to have any of the characteristics of a Fortune 500 CEO. He's not the guy that you call on to lead the troops into the battle. He's not the guy that you call on to give the pep talk to the team. And that's the point. James probably has a whole lot more in common with the pastor of a small country church. With 20 people attending on a good Sunday. And you've never heard of him, he's never written any books, you're not going to see him featured on an end cap in a Lifeway Christian bookstore, but week in and week out, day in and day out, he is faithfully loving and serving and caring for the people that God has entrusted to him. There's not a lot of fanfare with James. There's probably no James the Lesser fan clubs, and that's the point. James possibly, we don't even know what his death was like, but if tradition and the fragments of church history are correct, he was possibly martyred in 63 AD, either by being thrown off the top of the temple or being clubbed to death. And some accounts actually cite both. So it maybe brings to mind whether they threw him and it didn't complete the job and then they just went after him with clubs. But there's no biblical record of what happened to James. Nathaniel, also known as Bartholomew, we see his account, the little bit of it, in John 1, verses 45 to 51. And Nathaniel is a bit of an interesting character because Nathaniel was searching the scriptures, looking for the Messiah. And then Philip came up to Nathanael, and he came and he told him, look, we found the Messiah. And Nathanael responds with incredible, incredible prejudice in his heart. He responds to Philip and says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathanael is from Canaan. Nathanael didn't like those from Nazareth. He had incredible prejudice. Now, as a guy who was studying the scriptures, meditating on the scriptures, he could have said, well, wait a minute, Philip. No, Micah says in 5.2 that the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem. You've got it all wrong. Now, he doesn't cite the scriptures. He speaks out of his emotions and says, no, nothing good can come from Nazareth. You are way off based. But Nathaniel comes and follows the Lord. And the Lord uses him and he pours into him and he teaches him and he trains him and he instructs him. So what happened to Nathaniel? Again, we don't know. If church history and tradition are correct, he ministered in Persia, possibly India. Might have even taken the gospel as far as Armenia. And he is believed to have been martyred. By being tied up in a sack and thrown in the sea. That's Nathaniel. We don't know. Thomas, as I mentioned earlier, he had a twin. He was referred to and known as Thomas the Twin. We have no details regarding his call to follow. We see at different points along the way, and there's just a very small number of points to look at that Thomas might have been one that, that would stand up and take some initiative, but he was also very, very pessimistic. And we see Thomas's personality in dis, in, on display in the story of Lazarus, where Jesus has said, Lazarus has died. And there's discussion about whether they go back or not. And, and will, if we go back, they're searching to kill you. And, and Thomas says, well, let us go, and we'll just die as well, Thomas was a half-empty kind of guy. The glass was never half-full for him. It was always half-empty for Thomas. In the upper room when Jesus is giving instructions to his disciples in those final words, Jesus is telling them, you know where I'm going. And Thomas goes, Lord, I, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way to which Jesus replies, I am the way, the truth, and the life? Thomas famously, and this is where he gets his nickname, Doubting Thomas, responds, I need to see his side and his hands with my own eyes, or I will never believe. Now again, to be fair, the other disciples all disbelieved the women that came back on Sunday morning to tell them the tomb was empty as well. For whatever reason, and we don't know the reason, he could have been on a grocery run. We have no idea. He wasn't in the room at that point. Later on Sunday, when the rest of the apostles were cowering in fear. And we're told in John 20, they were together behind a locked door because they were fearful of the Jews. So maybe Thomas had a little bit more bravery because he was willing to not be there. But then it was eight days later that that same group is behind a locked door. And Thomas happens to be there. And Jesus again enters the room without the door unlocking. Without the door swinging open. And Jesus says, you put your hands in my side. You touch my hands. We don't even know what happened to Thomas It's believed he might have carried the gospel to India. There's some churches that have been um, created in his name and honor in India. I believe there's even a a place of, of burial to honor and memorialize Thomas, but we don't know those things for sure. There's no biblical record. So here you have three men, called by God, equipped by God, given Ministry and responsibilities by God, who there's not, not a lot of fanfare for. And I think that's the point. And I think these guys stand as incredible examples for those that prefer to serve in the background than the foreground. For those of you that have not been gifted to stand up and preach a sermon but you've been gifted to love and serve in other ways and there's not a greater value or worth to be distinguished between God has given you a gift to serve his body he's arranged you in his body he's made you the toe or the finger the mind or the heart or whatever part you wish Because he chose to, and he's making all the pieces of his body fit together in a beautiful composition so that Christ might be known and the gospel might be declared and we may worship and exalt the living God. So we don't and can't draw distinctions between what is external and assign value to them. you have different roles we have different roles the question is not what role is more valuable the question really is are we obediently serving the lord with the gifts and the roles that he is giving us or has given us are we functioning members of the body let's pray God, we pray that you'd help us to understand these truths. We pray that you'd help us to be functioning members of your body. That, like these men, have been called to a different task and a different function. But there's not a different value, there's not a different importance, there's not a different level of worth. There are distinctions in roles and gifts, but not value. God, help us to live and serve with the gifts that you have given us. God, help us to be functioning members of your body. We pray this in the good name of Jesus. Amen.